it's not just a race that we're in. It's the most important race of our lives. If you've ever run in track and field and you've ever run a distance race, I ran the two mile. And if you watch some of the Olympics, you recognize that there are two gunfires in a distance race. The first one starts the race and then the final lap of the race, they fire another gun. It's called the gun lap. It's where the runner knows that he must give everything he has, that he, the final lap is ahead of him. And when a runner, I remember feeling and hearing that gun go off, an adrenaline rush takes over you and you realize, I have to lay it all on the track because my final lap is ahead of me. And I must give my best to cross the finish line with everything I have. For some of us, we know we're in the gun lap. I became fully aware of that more even so two years ago. But I'm aware of the frailty in the number of days of my life, lying on a hospital bed and getting a stent placed in the widow maker of my heart. It gave me a full awareness that my days are numbered and time is short. But the reality is this, is that some of you are in your gun lap. Some of you are there and you're here today and you're watching online, but you might not be here next week. Paul writes a letter to a young and up-and-coming runner called Timothy, reminding him of all that he's been through. Paul is in his gun lap. And this two letters that he writes to this young and up-and-coming gold medalist preacher are words of admonition, words of encouragement, and words of conviction and experience, reminding him that this is how he much, much, or must run. Ten weeks ago, at the first week of our sabbatical, my stepfather died. I, I love my stepdad. He lives like he's never lived right now in heaven. And as we made the trek home to Hagerstown, Maryland, I preached at his funeral. A lot of thoughts cross your mind when you're standing in a room that's probably 30 feet by 60 feet, and at the edge of this room is a casket of someone that you dearly love. But as believers, we know that it's just a shell of a body. It's just a tent and his spirit and soul is gone, and to be absent from that body is to be present with the Lord. A lot of things happen in that room, too. People from all walks of life, he lived 89 years. And I found myself walking up to people because we had pictures everywhere. My sisters had collected and done a phenomenal job of getting everything ready. But there were portraits of him when he was in the Korean army. There were pictures of him when he played softball. There were pictures of him as a kid. There were pictures of him when he worked at Mack Truck for 35 years. There were pictures of him with my family. And, and so people would come in and I'd walk up to him and, and not knowing them, I met people I've never known before. And my line was, so how did you know Andy? And so I would listen to what they said because I loved my stepfather. And I found out things I didn't know. I found out true stories that have been embellished a little along the way, too. <laughs> but it was good to collect and hear the stories of 
what he had done. He ran his gun lap, and he finished the race. The Bible says that man is destined to die once and then face judgment, Hebrews 9.27. So if we know that to be true, and we do know that to be true, if we only die once, then we better pay attention to how we live. (laughs) This series, my hope and prayer has been this week that will cause everyone, 10, 20-year-olds, 40, 30, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-olds, to reflect and examine the race and to live as though it is their gun lap. It's God's choice to determine how long our race is, but it's our business to determine how well we'll run it. Some of you will run short races, and you don't even know it. Some of you will run long ones like my stepfather did and did it well. It's so much better to run a short race well than a long race poorly. Paul finds himself at his keyboard. Can you picture him today? I can. He has his reading glasses on because he can't see the screen. And he's poking away at his keyboard and writing this letter to this young and -and up-and-coming preacher who is hungry to be handed this baton of the call of ministry on his life. And so he writes these experiences that he's had, these these years of of the times that he was away from God and, and persecuted Christians, and then how he knew that time was short and how he ran with everything he had. And Paul receives this letter And not only does he receive one, he receives a second one from this grisly veteran of the faith. This contender who fought the fight well. And he hands him this letter. And he says, Tim, this is how you should run the race. I don't know how many of you will make it this week. I don't know if we'll receive calls in the office this week that someone has gone to be with the Lord. But what I do know is this. We have a chance to run well and to run as if it is our gun lap. Would you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy and we're gonna see this gun lap letter to a young and up and coming runner. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and would you stand with me as we read verses 1 through 8 out loud together? 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8 out loud together. Ready, read. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to mess. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You may have a seat. Paul is giving what we would say the word of God, and the word of God is the standard for truth. He's reminding Timothy with these words that, he, that are still as applicable today as they were 2,000 years ago, that this is the standard for truth. Can I get one amen? amen? The word of God is our standard for truth. If you're seeking answers and you're seeking advice how to run the race, don't turn first to a podcast. Don't turn first to a, a, a YouTube video. Don't turn first to a, another opinion. Turn to the word of God. It is the standard for truth. So Paul hands this flash drive of information to young Timothy. And he says, this is how you should run the race. He opens up by reminding him of a very important truth that some of us lose sight of in this race that we're in. Look again at first, or 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. He says, in the presence of God, Tim, and in the presence of Christ, Tim, Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his what? What's the word that he used? Appearing. He reminds him that Jesus will appear. Jesus will come. He reminds him that in the presence of God the Father and God the Son, I give you this charge. He's reminding him that I've thought through this. This is spirit breed. And I know that Jesus is coming soon. And he reminds him that time is short. Let me say this as candidly as I can say it, as truthfully as I can say it. In my almost 60 years of life, I'll be 60 in January. I have never experienced a time in my life where the stage is being set for Christ to return. I have never, and I don't lightly say that, and I don't say that with fear, I say that with joy because I know where I go. <laughs> and for those that know Christ, God will rapture the church, but for those who don't know Christ and are watching online, time is short. And your days are numbered, and my days are numbered. But I have never seen a time when the Antichrist could appear on the scene and a need for peace needs to happen and someone needs to walk on planet Earth and say, take this side that's against this side and, and this side. I've never seen, in my opinion, in 60 years, a world more divided. I've never seen, in my time, Christians more divided over concerns. I've never, in my lifetime, seen people turn away from the truth more than they are right now. I've never seen in my lifetime where faithful, godly doctors have two opinions on a subject. 
I've never seen where the freedom of speech is being usurped from the airways, and we really don't have freedom of speech. I've never witnessed it in my almost 60 years of life. All I see, in my opinion, is bad press for Christians. And unfortunately, the press that Christians do get are shock jock pastors on YouTube. I've never seen more gender confusion I've never seen people losing their jobs and freedoms to buy and sell based upon what we choose with the vaccination. I've never seen a country more divided than what it is right now. And more than ever, we need truth, God's truth, to invade our world. We need a fresh word from the Lord. We need a fresh wave of Jesus to sweep over our country. We need truth, hear me out, not another opinion. We need thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my prayer has been this, heaven down, please Jesus, bring heaven down. Bring truth down, Lord Jesus. Let me hear from you and not another YouTube opinion. Let me just pause and hit the pause button. I do not fear. Because my Bible has clearly stated out and charted out what is to take place. And the promises of God are as good as they were written in the Bible as as they are today. I cling to God's truth. I don't fear. But what I long to see is people and myself clinging to the truth. And my Bible says the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. Let me just pause and say this. God is not surprised by the disunity in our world. God is not surprised by the gender confusion. God is not surprised by people losing their jobs. God is not surprised by the airways being usurped with one or two opinions. He promises to work all things out for good to those that love and are called according to his purpose, and that is Christ's followers, and I stand on that truth. John said this in John 8, 32. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hear me, hear me today. I walk in freedom because of Jesus Christ. I don't walk in fear, but I want to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the last time I checked, the only standard for truth is the word of God. Can I be really frank? How many of you spend as much time here as you do on the internet? How many of you are Googling looking for truth when the truth is here? How many of you are trying to find comfort in someone's opinion or podcast that was shared or a YouTube video or a Vimeo video and then you repost it and you Facebook message it to someone to prove something all the while you're trying to find peace. Peace comes through his word. Jesus said this many years ago, and it's more applicable today in my 60 years of life than ever because I am on my gun lab. He said this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Paul would later say this in Galatians, and I love this passage. I, I love when Chuck quotes it at prayer encounter. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Here's what this means. Here, think about this. 
I'm already and you are already dead, so who cares what I say if it's the truth? You can't do anything to me. You can't poke me. You can't harm me. I'm dead in Christ, and I live in Christ. I'm already dead, so you're not going to hurt me. I'm going to tell you the truth of God's word. Stop and consider the gravity of this moment. Veteran, grisly man limping through his last lap of life. Paul was living in a day when truth was fleeting. In fact, in chapter three, verses five to eight, he said people had opposed the truth and they had a form of godliness, but they were denying its power. Is that not what we're seeing today? A form of God? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, he's, he's a Christian, so we'll follow him. Yet, a form of godliness doesn't mean that you are a follower of God. There's a form of godliness, but denying its power. I want to follow. I want to surround myself with spirit-filled, convicted followers of Jesus who know the power of God and walk in the unction of the Holy Spirit. There's a form of godliness. But even 2,000 years ago, Paul said the world was filled with the form of godliness. And then he says this. He says in chapter 3, have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. The whole letter is dealing with false teachers and lies. <laughs> oh my goodness, is that not America? You see, nothing has changed. Evil has only increased. And we are the ones that God has ordained from the beginning of time to be on the track, running the race for him. And praise God, he gives us a chance. Yet, there is hopelessness in our world. More fear than I've ever seen. I've never seen such worry in our world. I've never noticed such depression. Suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. People are agitated. They're glued to their TVs. They're entangled with network news reports. And they're allowing the Delta virus to dictate their decisions in life instead of the Alpha and the Omega. And so Paul says, live with the end in mind. Better yet, run your race as if it is your gun lab. The psalmist said that 4,000 years ago. In Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12, he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so he tells Tim, be conscious of the appearing. But in verse 2, he tells him this. He says this. Here, he said, here's the charge. Look at it with me. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. With great patience and what kind of instruction? What does he say? Careful instruction. This charge he gives Timothy is a breath of fresh air in a world that had turned away from God. He reminds him, hey, use the word of God. As I told Pastor Joe today, correct, rebuke, encourage, instruct 
with the word of God. And he looks at Timothy and says, this is the manual. This is where people will find hope. Honestly, this is where I find hope in this hopeless world. He said, let it encourage you, Tim. And let it encourage the hearts of the weary, battered, beaten, and hopeful followers of God. In other words, be willing to tell the truth even if they don't want to hear it. But my hope is this, Grace Community, that we would do it in love, with gentleness, laced with grace, but truth, God's truth. Because we love him too much not to tell him the truth. But even more, do it with gentleness and respect so that the world will want Jesus. I'm going to be really frank, and maybe this word, the Spirit wants to speak to you today. Your Facebook post, your tweets, your shares, will either soon turn people to Jesus or alienate them from you and Jesus. You give people permission to want to talk to you or not to talk to you by what you post and what you say. You give people permission to allow you to speak into their life. Hate, anger, and the need to be right will only divide our country farther. God's word can break the hardest, callous, and most resistant heart out there. Hear me out. Not your opinion, but God's word. But do it with gentleness and respect. Don't beat people up with the word of God. In fact, James said something many years ago that many of us memorized, and I did, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Boy, do we need that self-talk today. Some of us have memorized scripture. Some of us know the truth. But you want to win someone to Jesus? You want to make a difference, and I want to make a difference in my walk? Do God's word. Walk in his ways. Let people know that you are a follower of God. He says this to Timothy then in verse 3. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them with a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Have you ever thought in your lifetime that you would see a day or think you would see a day when people cannot even sensibly debate or discuss issues when they stand on different sides? We can't even talk about what we believe is true without getting banned or cut off or hated. 
We as pastors and, and us as people of God are preaching and living in two worlds, the sufficiency of the word of God in a world that doesn't want God. And let me just say something. I believe the reason many don't want God is because of the way we live our lives. More than ever, we need God's truth. We need followers of God who run harder for Jesus, hear me out, than they do their political party. We need true standards, heaven down true standards, people who fill their hearts and minds with God's word more than they do with podcasts, Netflix, YouTube, Snapchat, IG, Facebook, Twitter, and Frank speech. We need more Jesus speech. Paul says to Timothy, people will want spiritual junk food. They will only want what itches their ears and makes them feel good. They want a watered down version. In order to show the world the truth, we must gain permission to speak into their lives. In John 13, 35, it's a very familiar passage that many of us have taken to memory, yet the truth is we hear the word, we see the word, we know the word, but do we do the word? John 13, 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples by our love for one another. Can, let's just pull away and step outside of our world. As people look at our lives and your life, would love be the characteristic of your faith? Would people say, man, they love Jesus and they, they love me. Would people point you out in the workplace, in the schools, in the home? Would they look at your marriage and say, man, that husband loves his wife. That wife loves her husband. That child loves his mom. And would love be the characteristic, the umbrella of your life? They will know we are Christians by our love for one another. I wonder if we really do what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love. Have we forgotten what love is? My Bible says this about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love is not proud. Love doesn't dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight and evil, but love rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Did you just feel like you took a shower with God's word? Imagine 
if we clothed ourselves with that love today, they will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. Doesn't our world need a good dose of that love? Paul would say in Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Part of the problem is this in this race that we're in. We view our race from our minds. We remember all the times we failed him. We have a tendency to put away into our hard drives all the stuff that we shouldn't remember. We have a tendency to think that we're not worthy and that God has this disdain for us or that God is a whack-a-mole God and he's just going to whack the tar out of us this week. But the truth is, I want you to think about this. Before you did all those sins, and I did all those sins, God chose you. Think about this. God chose you before the foundation of the world, knowing full well all the ways you would stumble in this race ahead of time. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be his child, knowing full well ahead of time you would fail him, you would sin miserably, you would take detours from the race, you would run in the long, wrong lane on weekend nights, you would lie to your friends, you would view pornography, you would poke your veins with drugs and get drunk. He knew this before you cheated and gossiped about your friends. He knew this when he chose you from the foundation of the world, even though you would cuss out your enemies, you would gamble your resources away, you would eat in gluttony, you would leave your spouse, and even you would hate God for seasons of your life. He still chose you. Me too, by the way. Still chose you. Think about that for a second. Pull away. Let's bring it home. Would you rechoose your spouse? If you had information, the length of your marriage, of everything they did wrong, all the ways they turned their back on you and cheated on you and hated you, and let their pride rule in that relationship, would you still choose your wife and husband? Would you choose your own children if you knew full well all the baggage that would happen in the future? Hear me out. God chose us anyhow. Listen, that is unconditional love. It's okay to clap. (laughs) 
Our world needs a good dose of that kind of love. So Paul looks at Timothy and he reminds him this in verse 4, or verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations, Tim. Endure what? What's he telling him in verse 5? Hardship. Do the work of what? What's he say? An evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He tells young Timothy, Tim, there's going to be times you're going to have to keep your head even though the world's out of control, even though you're getting these emails, and even though you're seeing this from people that you thought were followers of God, and even though this has come against you, and even though it seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, Tim, keep your head. Endure hardship, Tim. Do the work of an evangelist. Know your duties. Boy, do we need reminded of this in our world today. We need to know why we're here. The race is not about dying, it's about living. (laughs) And as long as there's breath in your lung, God has purpose for your life. It's never too late to do it well. Let me speak to another generation of people. Many of you have mileage on your tires and you've let Netflix and shuffleboard be your answer. That isn't the answer. If you're still running and alive, hear me out. Your goal in life is not to get to a point where you can Netflix and shuffleboard. It's to do the work of an evangelist. It's to keep your head in all situations. It's to live for Christ in this life. He doesn't have you here just to coast into Netflix and shuffleboard. There is purpose for your life. The world needs Jesus and they will go to hell unless you engage them in your race. Give your life away. Can I speak to those who are in their senior years? What an incredible time you have. You have time that you never had before. Can I just invite you to do something? If possible, sit on your front porch this week and say hi to your neighbors. When you pull into your driveway, don't hit the remote control and have the garage door closed. Keep it open until you go to bed. Make your place an inviting place. Sit out front and engage the neighbors. Invite a younger couple into your home, a single into your home, and share with them as Paul is in his final gun lap with this younger Timothy saying, Tim, this is what I've experienced. This is how I failed. This set someone else up to win. That's why God has you here. Can I also say this? Serve your local church. There is no reason you cannot serve your local church. You have more time than you've ever had. (laughs) And the joy in return from that will far outweigh that Netflix finale. (laughs) Share your faith. The goal in the gun lab isn't to pull away and retreat. It's to crawl to the finish line if you have to, given everything you have.
the veteran Paul is reminding Timothy of his purpose on earth that it will be hard because this is not his home and he isn't supposed to fit. And he's here on a mission from heaven. Don't let, he tells him in another paragraph, don't let the affairs of this world distract you from your mission to do the work of God. My brother had the privilege of being with my dad near the end of his life. And so he wanted to give my stepfather permission to go home. So he walked into his room and he told my stepdad, Dad, it's okay to let go. It's, it's, it's okay to go home. It's okay to give up. And he said, my stepdad said this, but Jeff, he said, I still have people I need to witness to. <laughs> As I read a newspaper report about my stepfather, it was a story of his life. And I'm reading this story about my stepdad in his 89 years. And I soon realized that all the passions that I have, my desire to witness, to work with wood, the outdoors, creation, loving my wife, trying to be a godly father, I, I read these things that were written and I realized all those things that I love, dad passed down to me. And then this stark reality hit me. What will my boys look like? What will my, our daughter look like? When they read about me, what have I passed down to them that they have taken and continued on? Paul is looking at young Timothy. He's saying, run the race. Endure hardship. Keep your head in all situations and do the work of an evangelist. As I stood at my father's funeral and preached, what a privilege to stand over someone's body that loved Jesus. I said this and because the room was packed and there were many people I didn't know. And I said this to those that were there. My dad's not here, he's with Jesus. <laughs> And I said, my dad had a purpose, and that was to share Christ with other people. And then I said this. I pulled this out. I said, he's a citizen of heaven, not of earth. And I pulled this passport out, and I said this. When I travel overseas, I have to take a passport, and I filled up three of them by God's grace. And when I fly from America to another country, I have to go to the foreigner counter. And at this foreigner counter, because I don't belong in this country, I hand them my passport, and they look at it, and they see 
C. James Brown Jr., citizen of the USA. And so they take my passport, they stamp it, or they put a visa in it, and they say, you can come to this country for a short period of time. They give me a visa. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, and I have many times, I've been to multiple places, you soon find out that the culture is different, the food is different, some of it I like, some of it I don't like very much. In some cases, you find out that the language is different, and you really can't fully understand, unless you're fluent in that language, what they're saying, so you end up doing a lot of this. Why? Because you don't fit there. It's not home. It's not your cultural place to do life. But as soon as you, 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 you check out of your country and you get an exit visa stamp and you get on that jet plane, and as soon as we're getting ready to get near Chicago O'Hare Airport, the pilot comes on and he welcomes you. Today it's... July 12th and June 12th, March 12th, and it's 64 degrees in Chicago. And something happens to you, doesn't it? Like, home. And when you get off that jet plane and you, you make your way out and you, you take your luggage that's just temporary that you had for that trip, and sometimes you put it on your back and you go to that luggage return and you take everything that you took for this trip or this mission trip and then you walk down that alleyway. And when I go down Chicago here, there's these big screen TVs and when I see that waving USA flag and it says, welcome to the USA. I'm home. And something happens in me. I understand what they're saying. <laughs> I fit in. And as I looked across this room, I said this, we are here on a short-term mission trip from heaven on earth, and we're not supposed to fit <laughs> because our home is in heaven, and there will be times when it feels like no one understands you, <laughs> and you don't understand them. But your mission while you're here is to share Christ and then to go home. Paul looks at young Timothy and says, do the work of an evangelist. Our lives are not our own. And Paul recognizes that the second gun has fired. And he says this. Look what he says. Look what he says. He realizes, he says in verse 6, For I already being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, as my coach, when I would run to two mile in high school, and I, the, the gun lap, the pistol would be fired on the, on the, 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 after I finished seventh lap. And when I would get on the turn in that two mile run, my coach, and you've heard this, some of you haven't, he would run to that last corner. He was five feet four and he had a squeaky voice and he's with Jesus, but he would yell at the top, now you go, bro, now you go. <laughs> I hear that at nighttime sometimes. <laughs> Paul's saying, my departure has come. I'm on the last turn. My life is an offering. Have you ever thought about it that way? You know, in these days, offerings were generally the best cut of meat. 
or the most prized possession of an individual that you would give. Paul knew that Roman citizens could not be crucified, but he knew he would most likely be beheaded and he would be pouring out his own blood for Jesus. He was running and sprinting to the end. J.I. Packer said it this way in one of his reads. He said, my contention is that we should aim to be found running the last lap of the race of our Christian life. As we should say, flat out. The final sprint, so I urge, and Packer said, should be a sprint indeed. Some of you were running well. Some of you have taken a seat in the infield grass. Some of you know that you're in the gun lab and have retreated to another race. The retirement race. Some of you need to get back up and run as if it's your last lap. You may think you're too old to run fast, but you're not too old to run well. None of us know that we have tomorrow. Some of you may think it's too late to make a difference for God because of your past. Remember? God already saw all that from the beginning and chose you already on his team. Knowing full well you would screw up, but knowing full well he wanted you to run this race. You haven't screwed up too bad for Jesus. He knew you would. And he still chose to use you. God is not here to beat you up for your sins, Jesus took the beating for you on the cross. I heard this story this week of a speaker by the name of Ken Brown. He was coming before a large group of people, and I think it was pastors or men's conference. And as he's ready to walk out, his friend who was in the audience was part of the group, was emceeing, saw Ken coming, and Ken had walked his whole way, greeting people, shaking hands, high-fiving people, and they recognized him. And when he came up, he realized that his fly was wide open. By the way, I checked before I came on stage. <laughs> and so he saw his friend, Ken Brown, coming, so Roger goes over to him and says, dude, <laughs> the barn door is open. He said he was a veteran older man in his 70s. So you know what he did? He took his zipper and zipped it up and kept right on going. He said, I learned something from that situation that he, he could have stopped and said, man, I'm stupid. Can you believe I did that? I'm a 70-year-old man. You would think by now I wouldn't stumble like that. He could have taken a victim mentality and walked away and said, whoa, 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 people think, oh, man, and, 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 and stood up in fear. But no, you know what he said he did? He just zipped it up and kept on going. He took care of the problem and moved on. Wouldn't it be great if we did that with our sins? Because someone has already taken care of our sins for us, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we fall, just zip it up and keep on going. So Paul finishes this 
final lap motivational speech to Timothy by saying this in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I like this terminology, and I was reading it this week, and Pastor Mike said, the good fight. He says, you know what? I don't know if I've ever thought of that that way. Some of you are fighting the wrong fight. I see it on social media. People need Jesus. Fight that fight. He says, I finished the race and I finished it well. But keep the faith. And if you were to look at the English here, it means to keep on keeping the faith. It's a race worth running. It's the only race that matters, Grace Community. I trust you're eager to hear, well done. The world desperately needs runners that are sprinting to the end or limping to the end or crawling to the end. Runners that live like there is no tomorrow. Every life change decisions begins with a single decision. If we were to zoom away and get a bird's eye view of your race, Would you be running? May God still find you running the gun lap. In my hand, I have a $20 bill. How many of you would like to have this $20 bill? Anybody? That's it? Anybody? Here, want this 20? It's up. Anybody want it? And if you had this $20 bill, what might you do with that $20? How would you spend it? What would you do with it? What if I chose to take this $20 bill, and I will, and I crumpled it all up? Crumpled it up. And then I opened it back up, and I said, how many of you want the $20 bill now? Same hands. What if I took this $20 bill, and, 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 and I, I grabbed an ink pen, and I wrote all over it, and I crumpled it up? How many, how many of you want the $20 bill now? What if I threw it down and stomped on it. And I spawned it up and I said, how many want $20 bill now? Why? Because it still has value, doesn't it? It's just marked up and written on and crumpled. And what if I tore the $20 bill? How many of you would want the $20 bill now? N not everyone. But do you realize something? If you took this crumpled up, stomped on, written on, what appears to have no value, $20 bill to the bank, and you handed them this battered, broken bruise, torn in half and tattered $20 bill, and you gave it to the cashier at the counter, you know what they do? They give you a brand new one. Why? Because it still has value. Some of you have crumpled, have stomped, have been written over, have torn up your life 
by your sinful decisions. And you think, you think you have no value. But if you take you to Jesus, he'll make it new. Why? Because he is the God who takes brokenness, sin, and when we repent and turn to him, he makes it new again. Amen? Okay. I'm going to ask you a real hard question. This isn't for your wife or your husband. This is for you. What's your race look like? Are you running with everything you got? Do you have a form of godliness but deny the power of God? Have you made some choices to step to the infield? Are you lazily running the race? Are you running in such a way to win the prize for Jesus? There's only one way. That's if we say, God, I'm sorry. I've made a mess of this. Please forgive me and make me new again. That's called repentance. That means we've been going in the wrong direction, but we turn from our ways and we turn to God and he makes all things new and then we put our shoes on and we run with everything we have indeed J.I. Packer says we sprint to the end how many of you need to turn to Jesus and say, God, I've dropped the ball here. I've used my idle time for this. I've lost my passion. I've depended more on the world's word instead of your word. I'm going to run to the end with everything I got. Jesus, this race matters more than any race. I'm going to ask you to do something to stand as our worship teams are surrounding us. Don't leave, by the way. Time is valuable right now. I'm going to ask you just to repent, straight up repent. And in doing so, I'm going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you to come and say, Jesus, here I am. 
You already knew from the foundation of the world, but I'm acknowledging it today. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me. I want to run with everything I got. Here I am, Jesus. Use me. This is between you and God. But as we sing this song, come to the altar, I'll go first. I, I'll kneel first. Just come and kneel. Fill the aisles. And just you and just say, God, here I am. Forgive me. Use me. Just come as we sing.